Jason Schwartz here, another edition of Zion ID. Today we're talking about the ownership of Jerusalem. Um, I understand I'm presenting information here that most have never heard. Nevertheless, it is very important stuff and deserves um, further research and understanding because it will unlock a lot of the keys um, that are so important to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Joseph Smith uh, officially restored the Church of Jesus Christ in 1830. Well, um, five months prior to the establishment of the Church of Jesus Christ, according to a news publication, a newspaper called the Niles Register, it was reported that a man named Baron Rothschild actually purchased uh, Jerusalem. From the newspaper copy, it says, uh, Jerusalem. There's a report that the Rothschilds have purchased Jerusalem. We see nothing improbable that in the um, penuiary distress of the sultan, he should sell some part of his dominion to preserve the rest, or that the Rothschilds should purchase the ancient capital of their nation. They are wealthy beyond the desire, perhaps even of avarice, and so situated, it is quite reasonable to suppose that they may seek something else to gratify their ambition that shall produce most important effects. If secured in the possession, and which may be bought about by money, they might instantly, as it were, gather a large nation together, soon to become capable of defending itself and having a wonderful influence over the commerce and condition of the East, rendering Judea again the place of deposit of a large portion of the wealth of the ancient world. To the sultan, the country is of no great value, but in the hands of the Jews, directed by such men as the Rothschilds, what might it not become, and in a short period of time? The sultan is in great difficulty. Baron Rothschild was proceeding to Constantinople, and a second rebuilding of the temple is not among the most strange things expected in these strange times by some of the Jews. So, Jerusalem, Israel, was purchased in 1829 by the Rothschild family. Um, furthermore, the Balfour Declaration that was um, agreed to in 1917 was correctly uh, from the British government, which led to the establishment of the official state of Israel. I don't have the date in front of me. I believe it was, uh, boy, was it 1946 under Harry Truman? But anyway, the Balfour Declaration um, from the British government was a letter written uh, directly to Dear Lord Rothschild. I have much pleasure in conveying to you on behalf of His Majesty's government the following declaration of sympathy with Jewish Zionist aspirations, which has been submitted to and approved by the cabinet. His Majesty's government views with favor the establishment in Palestine of a national home for the Jewish people and will use their best endeavors to facilitate the achievement of this object. It being clearly understood that nothing shall be done which may prejudice the civil and religious rights of existing non-Jewish communities in Palestine or the rights and political status enjoyed by Jews in any other country. 
I should be grateful if you would bring this declaration to the knowledge of the Zionist Federation. Okay, so who is this all-important Rothschild family? Um, establishment, current economics. Remember in our previous podcast when we talked about political warfare, we mentioned that there is the political force and there is the economic force that helps to preserve our freedoms. Well, the economic force continues to this day to be dominated and controlled by the Rothschild family, who are the private owners of 99% of all of the central banks throughout the world. Um, This global network traces its roots to a young man who was born in the ghetto of Frankfurt, Germany in 1744. His name was Mayer Rothschild. At age 13, Mayer served an apprenticeship in Hanover with the bank of Simon Oppenheimer. At age 19, he returned to Frankfurt and joined his brother's money-changing business. Um, Mayer Rothschild married a gal in 1770, and the couple had 10 children. Wanting his sons to succeed on their own and to expand the family business across Europe, Mayer had his oldest son remain in Frankfurt, while his four other sons were sent to different European cities with the mission of establishing a financial institution to provide local banking services. Great lengths were taken to ensure control of family wealth, um, that that family wealth remained in family hands. A son named Solomon went to Austria, Nathan to England, Carl to Italy, and James to France. Um, Mayer's famous quote captures the family philosophy. He said, give me control of a nation's money supply, and I care not who makes its laws. So when you're talking about the political force and the economic force, um, I think the Rothschilds are correct in that the economic force carries more power. Um, Economic leaders are usually not elected by popular vote. More... um, more common is that they are part of a deep state that exists, you know, through political terms, through political leaders. And as we see with the Rothschild family, it has existed for decades, centuries, from generation to generation. Well, what happened in these early years, right, in the 1700s, began a relentless march towards central bank dominance. Their brilliantly deceptive strategy was openly described by the Rothschild Brothers of London, who were writing to their associates in New York in 1863, um, who were laying the groundwork for the eventual passage of the Federal Reserve Act that was signed on December 23, 1913. Um, The brothers wrote, and I quote, The few who understand the system will either be so interested in its profits or be so dependent upon its favors that there will be no opposition from that class, while on the other hand, the great body of people mentally incapable of comprehending the tremendous advantage that capital derives from the system will bear its burdens without complaint and perhaps without even suspecting that the system is inimical to their interests. 
um, the founding fathers of the United States certainly fought to dismiss any influence of a private central bank because of their prior experience with the Bank of England. Thomas Jefferson wrote, I believe that the banking institutions are more dangerous to our liberties than standing armies. The modern theory of the perpetuation of debt has drenched the earth with blood and crushed its inhabitants under burdens ever accumulating. If the American people ever allow private banks to control issue of their currency, first by inflation, then by deflation, the banks and the corporations that will grow up around them will deprive the people of all property until their children wake up homeless on the continent their fathers conquered. The issuing power should be taken from the banks and restored to the people to whom it rightly belongs. Um, that is the big deal with the central bank, right? Um, the very name Federal Reserve Bank was designed to deceive, and it still does. It is not federal, nor is it owned by the government. It is privately owned. The Federal Reserve pays its own postage just like any other corporation. Its employees are not in civil service. Its physical property is held under private deeds and is subject to local taxation. It has enabled an imperial elite to manipulate our economy for its own agenda, and it has enlisted the government itself as its enforcer. The Federal Reserve controls the times, dictates business, affects our homes and practically everything in which we are interested. The same owners of the U.S. Federal Reserve own controlling interests in every central bank throughout the world. Pull out a dollar bill from your wallet and you'll notice that it is a Federal Reserve note. So yeah, so back to the founding fathers and their opposition. Uh, we, we read the quote from Thomas Jefferson. Well, here's James Madison. James Madison understood the risk of giving too much power to a private central bank. History records that the money changers have used every form of abuse, intrigue, deceit, and violent means possible to maintain their control over governments by controlling money and its issuance. John Adams, the second president of the United States, wrote in 1811, our whole banking system I ever abhorred I continue to abhor, and I shall die abhorring. Every bank of discount, every bank by which interest is to be paid or profit of any kind made by the lender is downright corruption. It is taxation for the public for the benefit and profit of individuals. Um, so Rothschild ambition existed on American soil um, even before the drafting of the U.S. Constitution. The Bank of North America was created in 1781 by Continental Congressman Robert Morris, who tried to craft a central bank by copying the Bank of England. It only lasted for three years before being discontinued to, due to rampant fraud and hyperinflation caused by the creation of fiat currency. Alexander Hamilton, who recently has generated great acclaim for the, for the Broadway play known as Hamilton, was a former aide to Robert Morris. 
um, Alexander Hamilton became Secretary of the Treasury and in 1791 headed the next attempt at a central bank by establishing the first bank of the United States, a move that was strongly opposed by Thomas Jefferson and his followers. Well, then the costs associated with the War of 1812, along with chaotic financial conditions, prompted Congress to issue a 20-year charter to the Second Bank of the United States in 1816. Well, this central bank ended in 1836 after President Andrew Jackson vetoed a congressional bill to extend its charter, precipitating what became known as the Bank War. Jackson denounced the central bank as unconstitutional, as well as, and I quote, a curse to the republic. Inasmuch as it is calculated to raise around the administration a moneyed aristocracy, dangerous to the liberties of the country. It's no coincidence that America's first assassination attempt uh, on a president was made on Andrew Jackson in 1835 by a man named Richard Lawrence, who claimed to be in touch with the powers in Europe. Jackson spoke boldly, you are a den of vipers and thieves. I intend to rout you out. And by the grace of the eternal God, I will rout you out. Um, Despite these warnings from the likes of Andrew Jackson, um, John Adams, James Madison, Thomas Jefferson, Woodrow Wilson signed the 1913 Federal Reserve Act, which established the Federal Reserve that continues to exist until this day. A few years after signing the 1913 Federal Reserve Act, Woodrow Wilson wrote, I am a most unhappy man. I have unwittingly ruined my country. A great industrial nation is controlled by its system of credit. Our system of credit is now concentrated. The growth of the nation, therefore, and all our activities are in the hands of a few men. We have come to be one of the most ruled, one of the most completely controlled and dominated governments in the civilized world, no longer a government by free opinion, no longer a government by conviction, and the vote of the majority, but a government by the opinion and duress of a small group of dominant men. Um, President Abraham Lincoln... He was um, held hostage by foreign central banks when he was trying to pay for the Civil War. Um, They charged him excessive amounts of interest. And he also um, was fighting against the establishment of a central bank. And so what he did is Lincoln decided to issue his own dollars backed by the full faith of the U.S. government. It bypassed these foreign central bankers, which avoided any interest payments to them. For this patriotic act, um, many believe Abraham Lincoln was assassinated. Upon his death, Lincoln's government-issued currency was immediately called in and redeemed for pennies on the dollar, as set forth by these foreign central bankers. Lincoln warned the American people, and I quote, The money power preys upon the nation in times of peace and conspires against it in times of adversity. 
It is more despotic than monarchy, more insolent than autocracy, more selfish than bureaucracy. I see in the near future a crisis approaching that unnerves me and causes me to tremble for the safety of our country. Corporations have been enthroned, an era of corruption will follow, and the money power of the country will endeavor to prolong its reign by working upon the prejudices of the people until the wealth is aggregated in a few hands and the republic is destroyed. President James Garfield, who had previously been chairman of the House Committee on Appropriations and was an expert on fiscal matters, openly declared that whoever controls the supply of currency would control the business and activities of all the people. After only four months in office, President Garfield was shot at a railroad station on July 2nd, 1881. President John F. Kennedy planned to exterminate the Federal Reserve System. In 1963, he signed an executive order returning to the United States government the responsibility to print money, taking that privilege away from the Federal Reserve System. Shortly thereafter, President John F. Kennedy was assassinated. Um, The high-level coordination that organized the widespread cover-up to Kennedy's murder, murder is manifest evidence of the incredible power of this hidden shadow deep state. Um, that's occurring behind the scenes. Henry Ford, founder of the Ford Motor Company, commented, It is well enough that people of the nation do not understand our banking and money system, for if they did, I believe there would be a revolution before tomorrow morning. In the 1970s and 1980s, Congressman Larry P. McDonald spearheaded efforts to expose the hidden holdings and intentions of the international money interests. Right, this would happen through an audit of the central bank. Um, there are calls for increased transparency. Well, Congressman McDonald's efforts ended on August 31st, 1983, when he was killed as Korean Airlines uh, 007 was shot down in Soviet airspace. Senator John Hines and former Senator John Tower served on powerful Senate banking and finance committees and were outspoken critics of the Federal Reserve and the Eastern Establishment. Well, on October 4th, 1991, Senator John Hines was killed in a plane crash near Philadelphia. On the next day, April 5th, 1991, Senator John Tower was also killed in a plane crash. Um, in modern times, there's a man named Mark Pittman, who was a financial journalist for Bloomberg. He covered corporate finance and derivatives markets. Uh, Pittman is known as the first man to sue the Federal Reserve. After observing inconsistencies with the bailouts of the 2008 financial crisis, um, Pittman and some of his colleagues uh, put together a very well thought out case um, against the Federal Reserve They were even able to win parts of their case, Um, but not surprisingly, knowing the history of fighting these central banks, Pittman suffered a fatal heart attack in November of 2009. Um, 
Yeah, and as I guess as just a fitting tribute, his wife spent four summers spreading his ashes on 31,000 miles of cross-country Canada RV trips with their two daughters. Her love story memoir called The Pink Steering Wheel Chronicles was published and released in June of 2018. Um, I won't comment anymore on Pittman, but what a guy he was. Um, Very smart, very outspoken, and very courageous. Because of the tremendous power wrought by this central banking system, the Jewish families who control the majority of global wealth will trigger much of the final confrontation in Jerusalem, the land that they actually own or they think they own. Orson Pratt prophesied on March 10, 1872. He said, The Jews, or many of them, will gather back to Jerusalem in a state of unbelief in the true Messiah, believing in the prophets but rejecting the New Testament and looking for the Messiah to come, honest-hearted, no doubt, many of them. And they will rebuild Jerusalem after the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. While in that state of unbelief, Gog and Magog, the inhabitants of Russia, and all those nations in northern Europe and northern Asia, a great multitude will gather against the Jews before Jesus comes, and they will fill up the great valley of Armageddon, the great valley of Jehoshaphat, and all surrounding valleys. They will be like a cloud covering the land. Horses and chariots and horsemen, a very great army will gather up there to take a spoil. For you know when the Rothschilds and the great bankers among the Jewish nation shall return back to their own land to rebuild the city of Jerusalem, carrying their capital with them, it will almost ruin some of the nations, and the latter will go up against Jerusalem to take a spoil. And they will succeed in taking half the city captive. And when they are in the act of destroying that city, behold, the Lord will come with all of his saints and he shall stand his feet on the Mount of Olives. Um, That quote from Orson Pratt in 1872 that specifically mentions the Rothschild families and the central bankers' influence in the last days uh, was recorded in the Journal of Discourses, volume 14, on page 352. To finish, um, I'd just like to say that the Rothschilds as individuals are not categorically evil. Rather, the unsustainable institutions of Babylon are evil. This powerful family will come to such a realization and then return to Jerusalem in order to rebuild the holy city. John Taylor discussed details of temple building with Baron Rothschild. Um, Here we'll close with his quote. I remember some time ago having a conversation with Baron Rothschild, a Jew. I was showing him the temple here and said he, Elder Taylor, what do you mean by this temple? What is the object of it? Why are you building it? Said I, your fathers had among them prophets who revealed to them the mind and will of God. We have among us prophets who revealed to us the mind and will of God, as they did. As one of your prophets said, The Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple. But who may abide the day of his coming? For he shall sit as a refiner's fire and a purifier of silver.
Now, said I, sir, will you point me at a place on the face of the earth where God has a temple? Said he, I do not know of any. You remember the words of your prophet that I've quoted? Said he, yes, I know the prophet said that, but I do not know of any temple anywhere. Do you consider that this is that temple? No, sir, it is not. Well, what is this temple for? Said I, the Lord has told us to build this temple so that we may administer therein baptisms for our dead, which I explained to him, and also to perform some of the sacred matrimonial alliances and covenants that we believe in, that are rejected by the world generally, but which are among the purest, most exalting, and ennobling principles that God ever revealed to man. Well then, this is not our temple. No, but, said I, you will build a temple, for the Lord has shown us, among other things, that you Jews have quite a role to perform in the latter days, and that all the things spoken by your old prophets will be fulfilled, that you will be gathered to old Jerusalem, and that you will build a temple there. And when you build that temple, and the time has arrived, the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Do you believe in the Messiah? Yes. Do you remember reading in your old prophets something like this? They shall look upon him whom they have pierced and mourn and be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. And one shall say, what are these wounds in thine hands and in thy side? And he will say, these with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Ah, is that in our Bible? Yes, sir, that is in your Bible.